for uh, our new lease for the preschool. Been working on this preschool for a while, and um, I really believe in God that we're going to be able to occupy the building this year and start the preschool early 2021. So just pray for us for that, and um, that God will work out all the details, and we'll just have tremendous favor, which I believe we're going to have. So speaking of favor, I want to tell you guys, all of, all of our live stream fans out there, we love you so much. We bless you, and we're very honored that you take the time to listen this morning, and we want to encourage you to give yourself the gift of an hour and be encouraged and be exhorted with the, with the scripture. And then also I want to encourage everyone to share the stream. If you're on Facebook, which is like really right now our primary thing, share the stream. There are people in your thread that uh, will be encouraged by it. I can assure you of that. Uh, so I want to just tell you to do that as well. And so we're doing a series on virtue. And Second Peter says, His divine power has given us all things. Everybody say all things. All things. That pertain to life and godliness. So as Jesus rose from the dead, and he got, God has made provision for every believer. He's given every believer an inheritance. And he's given us, and we have access, or he's given us a resource that, that is for all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's already provided for you. Everything that you need to make it, everything you need to move forward is provided for you. You say, well, where is it? Well, the Bible says it's in two different places. Ephesians tells us it's in the heavenly places. You say, well, how do I access that? Through the Spirit, right? Christianity is spiritual or it's nothing at all. And Peter's telling us here that not only is the things that God provided for us, all things pertaining to life and all things pertaining to godliness and it are in the heavenly places, Ephesians, but also they're in the promises of God. This is what uh, Peter's talking about here. And it says, he called us to himself through glory and virtue. So God called us to himself. Glory means, uh, glory means weight of goodness. Virtue means system of excellence. So God has called us to himself through goodness and into a system of excellence. Say this, perfection, perfection. is not the goal. Not the goal. Excellence is. All right. And inevitably, I get someone who wants to correct me and say, but we're supposed to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And I always ask them, how you doing, man? How's that working for you? Right? The context when Jesus was saying that is that he, the context is he was trying to explain to them that, listen, you can't do it. None of us can be perfect. With God, all things are possible. With man, it's not possible. So we don't have the ability to be perfect. So let's just be clear. Okay, can, can, we, can we settle that issue once and for all? That it's not, God is not looking at you and expecting perfection. You're already perfect in him. In Christ, you are perfectly accepted. You are perfectly loved. He will not reject you. What he is expecting for us is the pursuit of excellence. Excellence is maximizing what you have in the moment. The tools that you have and the time frame that you're doing the best that you can and the circumstances you're in with the tools that you have. It's the pursuit of excellence. That's really what he's pushing us towards. It says through these things. So God has called us to himself into a system of excellence and he's called us to himself in the weight of goodness. And he's given us, to, and he's given us everybody say this with me, great and precious promises. And it is through the great and precious promises that we draw from his nature. That's why promises are so important. Right? We're not observers in this kingdom, Christian. We don't get saved, sit down in a chair, and wait for Jesus to come. 
God expects us to activate our faith. God expects us to allow his kingdom to flow into our lives and to allow the transforming power of his spirit to change not just us, but the world around us. One of the ways he does that is through his promises. God has a promise for every need. And in those promises contain the things that you need for life and godliness. Right? Okay, let's just take one. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. So what is the promise? The promise is that, it, that, you, that you will not live a life according to the selfish desires of the flesh if you what? Walk in the Spirit. You see, the promise is walk in the Spirit and you will not be governed by the selfish desires of your flesh. Get in the Spirit and you won't have to worry about self-management because the Spirit will help you. That's the idea. So that's a promise with a condition. Call upon me and I will answer you. So that's something that relates to godliness. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. So something that relates to life. Lord, I don't know how to do life. Lord, I don't know how to do this business. Lord, I don't know how to do this marriage. Lord, I don't know how to raise these kids. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. So what's the promise? I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to reveal it to you. I'm going to give you knowledge beyond yourself. But you have to what? Call upon him, right? So everything that pertains to life and godliness is in the heavenly places and is activated through the promises. Promises have condition. Jesus just doesn't do it by default. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them what? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have wisdom, you're like, well, I just need the wisdom of God. You have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. It says God, the liberal God, the generous God, the abundant God will give it to all who ask. That's something he doesn't even qualify for believers. An unbeliever can go, God, I need wisdom. He doesn't even know who he's calling on, and God will give it to him. <laughs> Crazy, right? There's lots of other things to that. But God, so the, he's, given us, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in the heavenly places, and he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're found in the promises, Christian. He doesn't do it by default. You have to participate. You have to activate, Right? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, uh, through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses knowledge will guard your heart and mind. How's the peace of God going to guard your heart and mind? When you are anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, that's easy to say. What am I supposed to do with my anxiety? All things with prayer and supplication make your requests known to God. God's saying, take, my, take your anxiety and give it to me. Tell me what you're anxious about. Ask me what you need. Sometimes I'll give it. I, this, uh, this is such a broad thing, and there's so much power in this. Sometimes you don't even know what you need. You don't even know what you need. You know what I do? Holy Spirit, what do I need? I know I need something, but I'm completely dull as to what it is that I actually need. And so I ask the Lord, what do I need? I'll ask him what the root of my anxiety is. I'll ask him, first of all, I'll ask him, is this even anxiety? Am I feeling anxiety? I don't even assume upon my emotions anymore. I ask him, what is it that I'm feeling, Lord? I, mean, I felt like I was dealing with anxiety like recently, and so I'm like going, Lord, oh, where's this anxiety coming from? Where's this anxiety coming from? And he says, how, he says to me, how do you know it's anxiety? That's what I heard him say. I was like, what? It's like, how do you know that's anxiety? Well, it feels like anxiety. So I asked him, I said, what is it? He said, it's intrepidation. And I said, intrepidation? I'm like, fear? He's like, no, it's not fear. I said, so what is intrepidation? He said, you're uncertain about the future. Yeah, yeah, he said, you have intrepidation. Because you're on, it's not anxiety. So I'm interpreting it as anxiety. And he tells me it's interpreted. And I said, so, so watch, this is what I do. Somebody just asked me last week, I want to do what you do. You want to do what I do? This is what I do. This is, this is the world I live in. This is the kingdom I operate in. 
All right? And so I'll ask him. I'll say, okay, so he tells me. He tells me, it's intrepidation, Kevin. And I say, what is the root of intrepidation? He says, it's rooted in a lie. Okay, what's next question? What is the lie that I believe? We don't want to hear that. We don't believe any lies. We're people of truth. Really? Look in the mirror. You believe lies. Look at your life. I can tell you the lies that you believe by the actions and the inactions that you take. I didn't say what you understand. I say what you believe. All right? And he said, your intrepidation is based upon the lie that you think you can screw this up. Because I'm in the middle of a transaction and I'm so like, oh, 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 oh. anybody with me? Yes. Yeah? yeah. Anybody that makes decisions knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right? So he tells me it's intrepidation. You're unsure of the future. The intrepidation is rooted in a lie. You believe a lie, Kevin, that you can screw this up. Did I tell you I'm going to give it to you? Yes, Lord. Did I tell you I'm going to do it? Yes. So why do you think you can screw it up? And I ask him, can I screw it up? And he's like, no, you can't screw this up. Even if you screw it up, I'll work through it. Even I'll work, I'll, I'll functionally work through your dysfunctions. This is how good he is. He works all things out to the, of those who love him and are called. Even your mistakes, he'll work towards your common good. But God has called us to himself through glory and virtue. So the, the principle of that is anxious for nothing, all things, through, all things through God and prayer. So what do we do with our anxiety? He tells us. And he tells us, this is what you do with your anxiety. You give it to me and you pray. You see, and you ask me. And what is it that I'm asking for? I don't even know. Well, ask him what you're asking for. This is how good God is. He searches the heart and the mind. The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God, but he also searches your heart and mind. He knows what you want more than you do. Do you know that? This is how good he is. He knows you more than you know you. He wants good for you more than you do. It's unfathomable to think that that's the way it is, but it is true. Lord, what is it that I want? This is what you want. I told you for a while, you know, I was really, uh, oh, I can't get into this. This will take me too much time. Oh, yeah, don't tell me that. But um, I didn't know what I wanted. So we all want things, right? We all want things. So there's issues in my life. So without jumping, I don't want to jump off on this one thing because that'll really take me far out. So I'm going to try to keep it narrow. So I was trying to figure out what it is that I want. Anybody ever feel hungry for something and you don't know what it is? You know what I'm saying? There's a longing in you and you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. What is it that I'm longing for, Lord? What is it that I want? And he started to show me the things that I wanted by the things that I didn't want. And so long story short, down this path, down this road, took me a while to get to that point, but he showed me, Kevin, you want legacy. Kevin, you want significance. Kevin, you want influence. That's what he showed me. You're hungry for influence, right? What's the key? How did I know? Okay, I got to say this. How did I know? Because I would see guys and I'd get jealous. Anybody been jealous? No? No? I got two people that said yes, right? <laughs> exactly. In your jealousy is a desire, an unmet desire. But it's not necessarily the jealousy of the person or the jealousy of the thing that is the issue. There's something there that you are hungry for, and you personify the jealousy Right? So you get jet like, okay, so there'd be certain people, whatever, you know, uh, American church is all about the rock star, right? We love the rock star. I have a saying, there's only one rock star, and his name's Jesus, right? So there's only rock star, pastors, anything like that, it has no interest to me at all. But yet I would find myself jealous of this, and I'm like, what? I don't even want what these guys, I don't want that. I don't want to sign eight by ten glossies at the door. You know what I'm saying? I'm not interested in that. I don't need an entourage around me to protect me and let everybody know I'm here. 
You want to know if the guy's all about Jesus or not? I'll give you one. Look at his Instagram. I dare you. Look at some of these pastors' Instagram. And you tell me if you can scroll down four, four sets of pictures and there's nothing about Jesus, I can tell you that guy's all about himself. Look at their Instagram. Look at Elevate's Instagram. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You look at some of these pastors' Instagrams and you scroll through them and it's nothing about themselves but about themselves. Nothing. Their shirt off at the beach riding a bike, skydiving pastor, right? I mean, really, really. You can tell what they're about by just looking at their Instagram. What message are you bringing across? Is this all about you or is it all about him? What position do you hold? Are you to reflect his glory or are you to suck all the glory to yourself? Which one is it? Which one is it? Yet I found myself, as sick as it sounds, being, finding myself in jealousy of that. And I was asking the Lord, what is it that I want? I don't want the vanity. I'm not interested in the fame. What is it that I want? He said, you want influence. I was like, I do want influence. It's like, you want influence. You want to be able to influence. And I'm like, exactly. Because it's not about me. You see, I'm not positioning and saying, oh, it's got to be me. i got to have my name in lights. I don't care. But I want influence. I want to be able to influence people towards the kingdom for the glory of God in a significant way. That was the second. Yeah, come on. And that's the second thing he told me. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to show you how I learned myself. And when I learned myself, I began to make decisions only out of this context. When you learn yourself, you will make clear decisions, Christian. Problem is most people can't make clear decisions because they don't know themselves. First thing you got to do is know your son and daughter. That's, this is an entirely different message that I'm about to embark upon, which I'm trying to rein myself in because I'm going down the other way. But the idea is to know who you are. And when he told me, Kevin, you want influence, I'm like, I do. And he says, then he, through another journey of process, you want significance because I would find jealousy in something else. And I'm like, what is it, Lord? What is the jealousy here? We look at jealousy as a wrong thing. Right? Church tells you, you need to repent of your jealousy. You know what I would tell you? Mine it. Mine it. Because there's gold there. What makes me jealous of this person? What makes me jealous of this situation? What is it that I want? What is it that I'm hungry for? And we're running around just running around trying to deny jealousy. Jealousy to me is an indicator of a hunger that is unmet within myself. Let me look right at the camera. Jealousy is an indicator of an unmet desire within myself. But I don't seek selfish desires. I seek his desires. So there's this whole process of integrating him into it. Ask, begin to seek the Lord and ask him what you're jealous of. What are you jealous of? They have a bigger business than you? Okay, well, what is it about that? Is it the fame? Is it the money? What is it? God doesn't have a problem with any of them. You say, well, I want to be famous. Why? He didn't have a problem with that either. Do you want to be famous for you? Or do you want to be famous so that you can influence people and give people a direction in their lives because you're seen and you're visible? Because if you want to be famous just for you, it's empty and vain and it is shallow. I want to be, I want to be rich. Okay, God doesn't have a problem with money either. I know that shocks a lot of Christians. I always tell them, his streets are gold, man. Right? Isn't his streets gold? Doesn't he sit upon a throne and there's diamonds on a sea and he's got walls of jasper and gates of pearls? You think money's his problem? He doesn't have a problem with money. He has no problem with money. He didn't have a problem giving money. His problem is character attached to the people that he gives the money to, right? You want money for what? I want to propagate and fund his kingdom. In what way? In these ways. Good, you're on the right track. Do you give now? No, but I'll give when I get it. You'll never get it, right? 
You act now as if that's what you were, but he doesn't have a problem for it. But what is it that you're hungry for? What is it that you're jealous for, right? What, what is it? In finding that and in realizing that's the core value of your life. I don't make any decision that is not significant. I don't make any decision. Significance meaning you'll be able to make an impact in a moment. Something that makes an impact. If it doesn't have significance attached to it, if it doesn't have influence attached to it, if it doesn't have legacy attached to it, I don't make the decision because that's what I want. You understand? I'm driven by, what it, by the desire that is in me. I don't always know that. Like, okay, preschool, I used this example before. Why did we do a preschool? I had people coming to me and all these different opportunities coming to the church, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm praying about a few things, and then the preschool comes, and I'm like, well, okay, what is this? So what's the filter? Is this influential? Yes. In what way? In what way is this kingdom influential? You can influence these kids, and you can influence these families for Jesus. Okay, that's a yes. Is this a significant thing? Yes, this is significant. You can have a significant impact into the lives of these families. Is this legacy? Is this something that can go on beyond the lifetime? Yes, this is, this is something that can carry forward beyond the lifetime. This is something that can be multiplied, can be scaled, all these different things. Can we do this? Yes. Is, does this line up? with? And so the answer to that question was yes. Will we do it? Yes. Working with pastors in India, right? We're on a little bit of a timeout because of COVID. I ended up, we ended up doing a pastor's training for a bunch of, we're helping orphanages, but the, big, the bigger goal is to plant churches in India, plant churches in, in uh, uh, South Africa, plant churches in the Philippines. We want to start creating a church planting. So what's the question? Does this, is this influential or does this carry influence? Absolutely. Is this a significant thing? 100%. Everything Jesus does, he does through the church. Everything. So when you feel like you can disconnect yourself from the church, you're disconnecting for yourself from the very source from which Jesus does everything. His glory is through the church, the Bible says. So his goodness flows through the church, right? Find the right church, man. So American Christians, you got no excuse. You got every kind of church you can think of. You got religious churches. You got liberal churches. I'm not saying they're all right, right? You got vanity churches. You got strict churches. I mean, you got everything. And you got Elevate. You got kingdom culture. That's right. <laughs> and you got us. <laughs> We're the anomaly. We seek our Father's will. But you begin to ask questions into the core values. This is for somebody. I don't know who this is for. But somebody's got some issues and you're struggling and you need to give yourself permission. Say this with me. I will not reject my jealousy. I'm not telling you to act out on it. Say that. Say this. The pastor is not telling me to act out on my jealousy. What I'm telling you is to mine it. What are you jealous for? And what you're jealous for is what shows you what you're hungry for. It'll show you things that are missing in your life. It'll show you things that you truly want. Right? And that's a big teach. I probably should do a teaching on that. <laughs> jealousy, your doorway into the next level. <laughs> what? Is this guy even reading his Bible? I mean, where, where is that? But there's power in it, man. It reveals something there. There's something there. It shows you what's missing. It shows you what you really want. And when you know what you really want, you have permission to go for that. Most people have no idea what they really want. You know, I, my, my decision-making has been clarified. I know what I want. I want influence. I know what I want. I want significance. I know what I want. I want legacy. Those are the three driving forces of almost any decision that we make personally or from, this, from the standpoint of the ministry, 
Those are the driving points, and you can have the same thing. So we're talking about virtue this morning. The Bible says, add to your faith virtue. And this actually, what I've just told you, is actually kind of relates to virtue. It's actually, I would say it's the pursuit of what is true, but virtue is the environment of excellence. That's really what virtue means. So when the Bible tells us to, to our faith, add to our faith virtue. Isn't that crazy? And to virtue, knowledge. So the first thing it tells us to do is you have faith, that's good. God has great and precious promises through which we may become partakers of the divine nature. He tells us, you have faith for these things. That's good, but you need to create virtue. Virtue is the environment in which the kingdom can manifest. You believe. There are a lot of Christians that have faith, but they don't create an environment or a world around them in which the kingdom can come forth. Hmm? Faith is... faith. Faith is sufficient, but it doesn't always manifest. You have faith for the promises, but you live a life without honor. How many knows it's not going to happen? You have faith for the promises, but you live, you live a life without courage. It's not going to happen. You know, there are, there are certain virtues that are required. Virtues are the elements that create an environment in which the kingdom manifests. I know I'm going to lose some of you on this, but nonetheless, I'm going to show you, Right? Let's just do this. Let me see. Let me find one. One of the virtues is courage. One of the virtues is bravery, right? Let's just say I have a word for somebody. I'm supposed to pray for them. I believe God's going to do something in their life or God's going to, do, going to heal them, right? So God's going to manifest his kingdom, wants to manifest his kingdom. But if I do not create an environment of virtue in which that kingdom can manifest, the kingdom isn't going to manifest. If I don't have the courage, the bravery, and the risk to step out into what he's telling me to do, what he wants to do can't come. It just can't. Financial blessing is another one. You're believing God. I believe God has a financial blessing for me. I believe God has a breakthrough for me. I believe there are people in this church that are going to be millionaires. How do you know? Because he said so. He said so. And some of the guys are already feeling like, man, I just feel like God's just raising up this business. I have these conversations all the time. I was having a conversation with Raul this morning. I have a conversation with people all the time. They're like, man, I just feel like God's just doing this thing. I said, man, there's a word. Jerry says 22. I didn't hear 22. I heard seven. God's going to raise up millionaires within the church itself. They're going to be inborn and homegrown. That's what he's going to do. Is it you? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? I it. <laughs> he receives it. But if you, do not, if you do not create an environment in which that word can manifest, it will not. You want financial blessing, and it doesn't mean God will prosper you, but if he wants to take you somewhere, it requires, you have to create, the, one of the ways is honor. You have to honor the Lord with the tithe. If you don't tithe, it's not coming. I'm not, I'm just going to tell you that straight up. Nobody will ever reach the peaks of financial blessing or the intent that God has if they will not tithe. The center point of all honor begins with the tithe, Period. If you don't create that environment, and then that's not going to happen. That's what virtue is. Virtue is creating the environment in which the kingdom can manifest. That's the deal. If you don't create an environment of honor, it's not going to honor creates access. You want to access God's financial kingdom, you have to honor the Lord in the way that he prescribes. Another way would be another part of virtue to that, to that end would be the issue of uh, bravery. If you don't have the courage to step in because you're not getting there without risk. And all the business people said, all the business people said, try, you don't get anywhere without risk. You don't get anywhere. You got to roll the dice, man. You got to put it on the line. I'm not talking about risky decisions. I'm talking about calculated decisions and instructional decisions that the Lord gives you. But it's still, he's still going to call you past yourself. We have this stupid thing in Christianity that when God tells us to do something, it's safe and comfortable for the whole family. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. Not for those on the leading edge of this thing. If you want to be on the leading edge of this kingdom, it's not safe and comfortable for the whole family. Hmm? You, can be, you can be in, you know, I'm just happy right here. But there are those that have it in their heart that they want to go further. They want to be beyond. They want to press to the, to the They want to go see where this thing goes. They're Captain Kirk's, man. They want to boldly go where no one's ever gone before. They want to go to those places. But you can't get there without risk. You can't get there without courage. You're not going to happen. Right? This is just part of the... In other words, in order for this to happen, you have to begin to operate and live with the virtues that cause these things to come to pass. Faith, he says, add to faith the environment that causes the faith to come to pass. That's what he's saying. In the ancient world, they looked at someone who lived a life, and they believed if you lived that life, you would produce excellence. It's the word verte, or virtue is the word arte ergon, and it means excellence of power. It also means a river or a current of excellence. So when you're living a life with virtue, you're creating a river and a, light and a river of, of excellence in your life. That's what happens. Virtue creates excellence. You understand that? Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith the river that creates excellence. Add to your faith the river that creates an environment that will bring the kingdom to pass. You want to see the kingdom of God? You want to see it? Don't you? Do you want to? Man, look, I want to go. I'm going to go up in the book of Acts, and Peter's going to give all his stories. I want a few of my own. I don't know about you. Well, that was Peter. That's most holy Peter. Really? Acts 29, man, we're in the 29th chapter of Acts right now. This book is being written. This tale is being told. Kingdom power, you can have it. Healing, restoration, deliverance, you can have it. Excellence, we have to create this environment. If you didn't have, if they, they had a word for these people, they looked at people who didn't have virtue. They called them acrasians. And they were viewed as someone who worked against themselves. Hmm? You might know what I'm talking about? You ever work against yourself? <laughs> Usually there's a missing element of virtue. You didn't have wisdom. That's one of the virtues, right? You didn't have courage. That's one of the virtues. You worked against yourself. You should have made that decision. You didn't. You're like, how stupid could I? Why didn't I make it? I was afraid. Da, da, da. You live a life without honor. You honor only you. Honor creates access. If the only person you honor is yourself, you'll never access anybody but you. Hmm? Yeah, <laughs> write that down. Exactly. If you live a life that honors only you, you will never access anybody but you because honor creates access. It's in the home. It's in the marketplace. It's in the kingdom. When you honor your wife, you have access, ladies and gentlemen. When you honor your husband, you have access, ladies and gentlemen. When you honor your children, honor is to, look, is to give to someone what they don't deserve, to see past them and to put value and worth on them. It's not what you observe them to be or what your opinion of them is to be. You're seeing them in light of a value and worth that God would see. All honor begins with the Lord. I'll just give you the virtues we're going to talk about. We're talking about honor. This is the second part of honor. Honor is a huge topic. Honor is a huge topic. It's like one of the centerpieces of the kingdom of God, if you really want to know the truth. One of the centerpieces of the kingdom culture. If you want to understand kingdom culture, you have to understand honor because it is a culture of honor. The kingdom itself is a culture of honor. So honor, justice, which is the right use of power, wisdom, courage, self-control, which is moderation. These are the virtues that create a life of excellence. Honor begins with the Lord. If you were here last week, um, you know, and I, I put this message together. I had an entirely different message last week. The Lord was just dealing with me, and, he saw, and I started out. You know, here's, here's a good one. Here's a good one, right? This is what, this all comes out through my relationship with the Lord. 
The Lord says to me that people do not have, a, do not have the right to determine what honor looks like to me. This is what we end up doing a lot of times as Christians is we tell God what should honor him. Did you know that? We think this is what honors God when we don't even ask him what honors him. So I had some idea. I know the principles of honor, but God kind of isolated me last week and he told me, he said, Kevin, you cannot speak about honoring me without the tithe. You cannot. If you want to study out the tithe and the offering, and you can go from Genesis to Revelation, God esteems the tithe as the center point of all honor to him. It's the first place in the book of Genesis where the tithe is, where the word honor is actually used, and it directly relates to the offering. Directly. Yeah. We showed it last week in Genesis. I showed you in Malachi. He's saying, if I'm your father, where's my honor? And the entire book is on giving. The entire book of Malachi is on giving. The people are lamenting. Why don't we see your kingdom? Why don't we see your power? Why do we look like this? We're so shameful. We're so cast out. We're broken down. We're beaten up. Why, 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 why? What's going on, Lord? And the Lord goes, you want to know what's going on? I'm going to tell you. You are priests who despise my name. They look like priests. They act like priests. They look like priests to each other. And they ask, and they ask the Lord, how are we priests that despise my, your name? He says, you offer leftovers on my altar. You give me what you don't want. You give me what you feel like it. You give when you feel like it. You give if you think it's okay. You don't give if you don't think it's okay. You are priests who despise my name. If I'm your father, where's my honor? Oh, this puts it right on the couch, guys. Right? We want to talk about honor. We want to, wonder, we want to know and wonder why we don't access greater things. We don't even begin at the basic point. You don't have to give. You get to. But I tell people, don't worry. In the, New, in the Old Testament, they were mandated to do it in order that it would continue. In the New Testament, it's given liberally. But it is a test. It is a direct test to the degree of honor that you have within your heart. This people honors me with their what? Lips, but their what? Come on, help me. Their hearts are far from me. Okay? Where your treasure is, your, they're your... Oh! Oh! You see the connection? We don't want to talk about that. So that has nothing to do with Jesus needing money. It has to do with your capacity to give it. And it has to do with the structure of the kingdom that is a reciprocal kingdom. God cannot bless a lot of Christians because they will not honor him in the way that he prescribes. You'll survive. You'll survive if you've been a believer for any length of time and you've never given and you've never given the full tithe and you, never, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to survive. You're going to make it. But that's about all you're going to get is survival. Huh? The higher things require a participation and an activation that, that demonstrates maturity. I say to you, the heir, so long as they are a child, is no different than a slave. I quote it all the time. Though they are masters of all, the heirs, that's the sons and daughters, are no different than slaves, even though God has made you masters of all. But you're under tutelage until the time appointed by the Father. Until you can demonstrate maturity, you'll never get there. That's what he's saying. So long as you act infantile in your thinking, so long as you act immature in your ways and in your thinking towards God, you'll stay right there. He's not going to labor with you. You don't want to give. He's like, fine, don't give. You don't have to. You don't have to. I've been giving my whole life. I just did it because he said to do it. I'm like, okay, here. You know, he said it. Because I didn't want my ways. My ways produced zero, nothing. And I, didn't, I knew if there's a better way, I want to find it. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Of course it's not easy. But is anything worthwhile that's easy? I don't think so. But honor begins at this point, Christian, and it because what it does, what the giving and the, the tithe does is it activates the infinite cycle. That's why it's 10. 
10 represents infinity. 10 also represents a testing in the scripture. What? Exactly. It's an infinite number. It's multiplied by any number multiplied by 10 continues to be whole all the way through. Multiply 12 by 10, it's gonna be that you're going to have a whole number all the way through. 12 is going to be there. A continuation of the whole. 10 is also the number of testing. 10 virgins, 10 lepers. Both were tested. Were they not? The lepers were healed, right? Tested with what? Gratitude. One came back. The virgins were tested. Tested with what? Oil in the lamp. You guys know the story? Right? 10. He uses the number. He's not guessing. Jesus isn't just throwing a number out there because he's being random. He's deliberately using a prophetic number. He's using that number specifically, and he's using it because it's a prophetic number of testing. And he tested them on their readiness. Half were ready, half weren't, right? That's the deal. It's a testing. It's a testing. It's a demonstration of what we are and who we are. But it also activates infinity. You want to test me? You want to know where my heart is? Lord, it's with you. You want to know where my, where my life is? It's with you. Don't honor me with your lips. Honor me with your heart. Just a test. Believe God. Put faith on it, man. Put faith on it. It's giving, giving is probably one of the most difficult times, and basically the, the church has retreated from giving like wholesale. I mean, we don't even teach it because we won't make people mad. Well, I'm going to teach it because it's in his word, and I'm going to teach it because it's the thing that activates the kingdom in your life. Without it, you can't activate the kingdom, Christian. You can't activate the you can't activate the that's why we're cast off. That's why a lot of Christians can't get where they want to go because you're making it up on your own terms. What if we listen to the Lord and say in what way do we honor you, Lord? What is the honor that you prescribe? And he says, "Do this." That offends me. Remember Scandalon? Told you that last week. Scandalon. So he's the lithgon, Jesus is the stone, right? He's the lithgon, the guiding stone. But there's another word that's used for him too and it's called scandalon. It means to offend. While Jesus is the cornerstone, the, the stone and the rock by which we align and guide our life. He's also the stone that strikes our pride. He's the scandalon. He's the smiting stone. In other words, he tells you sometimes things you don't want to hear. Jesus would never do that. <laughs> Matthew 15, I love it. My favorite story. I get to share it again, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> Disciples came to Jesus and said, you've offended them, Lord. You've offended the Pharisees. Jesus said some things that defended the religiously correct. All of the people thought they were religiously correct. We define righteousness. We are religiously correct, Jesus. We determine how we worship God. They're standing in the presence of God, yet they have the audacity to tell him how he's to be worshipped. They have the audacity to tell him how he's to be honored. Standing in his presence, the Pharisees would. And Jesus said things and they offended. And Peter runs to him and goes, you've offended them. Jesus, you've offended the Pharisees. I love it. And Jesus goes, I've offended them? Are you serious? I've offended these guys? Hey, what do you all think? You all think I offended them? Okay, cool. And as they were leaving, Jesus looks at them and says, every tree that my father has not planted will be pulled out by the roots. You are blind leaders of the blind. How can you lead others? You yourselves will fall into a ditch. What did he do? Did he apologize? Did he run up to him and go, I'm so sorry, I offended you. I'm so sorry, Christian, I hurt your feelings. I'm so sorry. Did he do that? Not at all. Not at all. You know what he did? He doubled down. He went, really, that offends him? Okay, double down. <laughs> I offended them privately through what I said. Now I'm going to offend them publicly because I'm going to speak it across to them while they're walking away. Don't think you plant a tree and it will grow. If you plant a tree and it's not planted by my father, it will be pulled up by the roots. Crazy stuff, man. 
Crazy stuff. This isn't fairy Jesus. This is King Jesus. This isn't fairy Jesus. This is your God and your king. This is the lion from which you are born. You were born from a lion, Christian. You were not born, you know, we're born of a lamb. He's a lion. He gave his life away as a lamb, but he will rule as a lion. And you come from him. His blood is in you. His blood is in you. Your blood doesn't curse, course from your ancestors. Your blood courses from a king. Rise to the level of your birth. Be who you are. Be who your father says you are. In the New Testament, it's a free will offering. It's given with, 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 to, to demonstrate honor. When, so here's the, here's, the, here's the rub. Now here's the second phase of that. That was all last week. This week is like, what, how do we honor God? Is worship. Everybody say worship. worship. Right. Worship means to ascribe value or to send forth value. What does this look like? So that's an easy thing. We just worship God. That's how we honor him. Well, let's break it down a little more. From where or how do we worship the Lord? The first place of worship is your heart. That is the first place of worship is from your heart. Everything that I am, Lord, is for you. I keep nothing from you. Jesus isn't interested in your intellect. He's interested in your heart. That's what he wants more than anything. If you believe in your heart, that's where salvation comes from. That's where relationship comes from. It comes from the heart. Jesus said you will love the Lord your God, Matthew 22, with all your heart. What does he lead with? Where does our love emanate from? What is the honor that he is looking for us from when it comes to worship, right? In this context, your heart. Honor me with your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So if we're going to love the Lord with our heart, love is to seek the highest good. So when God loves us, he seeks our highest good. So when we love him, we what? Seek his highest good. We're about, his, we're about our father's business, aren't we? That's the goal, Right? So when we love God from your heart, it's like, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what are you doing? What is your desire? I want my heart's desire to be your heart's desire. My heart and yours, your heart and mine. That's honor. That's worship. We seek the highest good, Lord. What is it, my, what is it that you want? The heart is your center of being. The very center of who you are, the Lord wants you to seek him. God's like, I'm for you. Be for me. Be about your father's business. Don't live a life apart from me. Live your life in me. What is it that I want? What is it that you, what is it that you desire, Lord? That's the, that's the issue. And the second one is the soul. So you want the, sort of the, the center of the being, and then he uses this word soul. Well, this is a very common one. Soul means mind, will, and emotions. But then why did he use mind? I'm going to get to that. So God is saying, worship the Lord with all of your... Jesus is saying, worship the Lord with all your heart, then worship the Lord with all of your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Mind and will determine intentionalness. In other words, there's a, lot of part of, there's a big part of you that isn't going to want to worship God. Can I get a witness? Right? We don't always want to worship the Lord. We will ourselves to worship the Lord. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. I will come running when they say, come to the house of the Lord. I will. I don't, it's not about feeling it's interesting, mind, will, and then emotion. When it's funny, when you will to worship God, almost your emotions come in line. You're given emotions so that you can experience Him and encounter Him. Emotions aren't a bad thing, Christian. They're not. It's what makes you alive. <laughs> it's what makes you experience Him. The fullness of the love and the joy is experiential through the emotion. But that stuff doesn't even activate until you will. You have to willfully worship God. 
I will enter into worship. I will take this moment. I will praise him. I will think on his things. And why did he say mind? Mind is an interesting word. There's a word study here. Dianoia. Dianoia is not the intellect. It's willful meditation. So when he's saying worship the Lord with all your soul, he's saying worship him with your intellect, with your mind, through your thoughts. What he's saying here is this word dianoia, and it means meditative response. Meditative, experiential encounter in the realm of the imagination. Is that biblical? 100%. David said, when I think about your mercies, right? David said, when I consider your handiwork and all of the things that you have made, I say to myself, what is man that you are mindful of him? Where did he get that revelation? Because he was willfully meditating upon the Lord. Jonathan, you might know the story. Jonathan, I got old and new. So, you know, you got witnesses in both testaments. In the, in the Old Testament, you have Jonathan laying under a tree. Armies enslaved. The armies in fear. And what did Jonathan do? He meditates. He's with his armor bearer. And he's like, this is the Lord we're talking about here, right? He said, Lord, I just, it doesn't matter. You're great. You're mighty. You're a king. None subordinate to you. It doesn't matter if you save by many or save by few. What is he doing? He is worshiping God in the encounter of the meditative thoughts within his imagination. He is going to wonderland and encounter with the Lord. That's where he's going. Yeah. And what does he do? He gets a revelation and he tells his armor bearer, let's go for a walk. Read the story. There's prophetic teaching all the way through. David the same way. In the New Testament, what do you got? Well, number one, you got Peter sitting up on a rooftop waiting for dinner. Right? He's hungry, isn't he? You guys know the story? The book of Acts? What is he doing? He's willfully meditating upon the Lord. Willfully. Lord, you're good. God, you're good. Show me great and mighty things, Lord. Take me to these places. Take me. And he sees a sheep come down with all the things. That, that came out of willful dianoia. You see the book of John. I was in the book of Revelation. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Dianoia. And the entire book of Revelation is written from a revelation. Right? He was experiencing God in that realm. And Jesus is saying, take the imaginative power that I have given you and worship me with it. Oh, if you're a creative, that should set you on fire. If you're a business person, that should set you on you. Do you know how much God will show you? Do you know how much wonder God will show you? If you begin to learn to worship him within the context of the dianoia, within the context of experiential encounter, he already told you. He said, love, him with your, love me with your heart, love me with your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then I want you to come to a place of encounter with me. I want you to go to deeper places with me. Not every Christian can palate that one. <laughs> we keep that safe for the whole family. But it's in the revelation that things change. It's in the revelation where people see, right? Paul was praying, and he had a vision of a man from Macedonia. He was worshiping God. He was in the spirit, and God showed him Macedonia and said, go to Macedonia. This is the dianoia of our being. We have an ability to go. Your imagination is a gift. It's the only place big enough for you to meet God. You can't meet God in your mind because you can't conceptualize God with your mind. You can't meet God in your heart because you can't, you know, you can experience him, but you can encounter him in the imagination because your imagination has no limits. Did you know that? You have a limitless imagination. Christians, we, we treat the imagination like it's some evil thing. Oh, imagination, ah. Oh. Bible doesn't say anything bad about imagination. It says vain imagination. Vain imaginations, which is what? Empty, self-seeking imaginations. You imagine your life, don't you? You imagine your future, don't you? You have a lot of imaginations about yourself. The Bible says those are vain and empty. Use it with the Lord, because that's really the gift to us, is the imaginative encounter. 
So we honor God through worship of the heart, the mind, and the imagination. Imagination. It's just true. We're spirit-filled, man. We believe in the kingdom, and we believe in the power. The Lord told me, I will never violate my word, Kevin, but I will violate your understanding. I've had some deep moments with the Lord. I'm not saying I've arrived. I feel like I'm still in the kiddie pool. I feel like only my ankles are in. I don't even feel like I've really swam that deep, but to me it seems deep. And some of the stuff that I feel like the Lord has shown me or given to me or whatever, however you want to frame it, has been a little bit outside of my understanding. But yet he'll frame it within his word. And he'll tell me, I'll never violate my word, but I will violate your understanding. (gasps) We worship our understanding. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what? All that you can what? Ask or think. What is he saying to you? He's saying in that verse that I will intentionally violate what you think you know. That's what he's saying. Most Christians can't get there. God will only work with you to the framework to where you're willing to go. You want to stay where you are, you'll stay exactly where you are. But you want to go to the places that are yours by inheritance, you can go there too. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to you. God will show you wonders. God has inventive ideas to those who will seek him. Where did electricity come from? I always use that one. Did electricity just appear with Edison or uh, Ben Franklin when he put a key on a kite? Oh, look, we've got electricity. The harnessing of the power of electricity, where did that come from? Somebody had a revelation. Somebody had an understanding. Somebody saw something that other people didn't. Radio waves, can we talk about that one? You know, internet, where'd that come from? Internal combustion engine, pick one. Find something. God will take his people to realms and he will give them ideas and concepts that are beyond them. He will. I dare you. He'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of if you'll press him, but you have to worship him in that. Lord, show me great and mighty things that I know not of. Lord, take me to that place. Show me who I am to you. I always tell you, begin with identity. Start with identity. It begins there. So we love the Lord our God. We worship him from our heart, our soul, mind, and strength. We honor him with our words. Jesus is not worshiped inside. Hey, with me. Jesus. Oh, come on. I'm waking you up now. Jesus is not worshiped in silence. Do you know that? Church thinks silence is holiness. If you've ever read what he says about himself, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Hebrews, therefore, let us, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Right? What is that? The fruit of our lips giving thanks. In other words, I don't feel like opening my mouth. What Jesus says, then make a sacrifice. Then die on the altar, Kevin, and open your mouth. Hmm? Christians, we're in a modern generation, and we've forgotten how to open our mouths. Praise him. Give him glory. Give him thanks. Father, I thank you. I thank you that I'm here right now. It's all I got, Lord, but I'm thankful. Okay, let's start with that. Open your mouth. God is not worshipped in silence. Let him know, and it's a sacrifice of praise. Huh? Present yourselves a living sacrifice. David said, make no offering to God that costs you nothing. You want revival that costs you dignity. That's what I will say to you. You want to encounter God in a new way? Then sacrifice your dignity. Open your mouth and praise him. Lift up your hands. He doesn't ask. That's an, that's an, uh, an imperative within the scripture. Lift up your hands. It's a command. Lift them. Lift them. He's not asking. Do you feel like it, Kevin? you feel like lifting your hands? 
It's, a, it's an emphatic imperative, which means it's a command. It doesn't have an option attached to it. And you know who he says it to? Ready? Men. That's where it begins. You know why? Because the women are more likely to lift their hands. They're more likely. The dudes, the brothers stand like this. And so in Timothy, he said, I command, I desire, emphatic imperative, that men lift their hands without anger and without doubt. Don't be mad about it and be a believer. Huh? Men, lift your hands. Open your mouth. It's not my thing. It's Jesus' thing. Trust me. He's taught me this. I'm like, it's not my thing, Lord. It's not my thing. And he's like, Kevin, it's my thing. Yeah? So he tells me, it's my thing. I know it's not your thing, but it's my thing. So I need you to do my thing. I need my thing to become your thing. You understand? We're transformed into whose image? Jesus is, right? We're not conformed into our own image. We're conformed into the image of Christ. So if that's your thing, Lord, then I lift up my hands. You want to dance? I don't know if I can care. I don't know if I can do that. Just I can give a little rhythm. I can give me like a praise the Lord. You know, do something. I don't know. Do something. Look at David. I will declare your name before my brothers. I will. He didn't say, I feel. He said, I will. In the midst of the assembly of your people, Lord, I will praise you. Well, I praise God privately in my own home. I praise him secretly. It's not what it tells you to do, Christian. <laughs> you want life? Go where life is. Now, look, I used, to be, I used to be like this. And I'd be like this. And then I'd kind of latte worship. I'd have a coffee and I'd be doing this. Okay? <laughs> I thought I graduated when I was a latte worshiper. <laughs> now I skydive. <laughs> so if you can do this, you want a latte worship? We got coffee. You can latte worship. It's all right. <laughs> Honor the Lord by serving. We serve others, right? How do we serve them? Practically and spiritually. Serve other people through the church. We've done the least of me, my brethren. You've done it unto me. We begin with the household of faith. We serve each other, Christian. We serve each other first and foremost. We serve each other. Yes, we serve the world, but we serve each other first and foremost. By this we know the love of God, that we ought to lay down our lives for others. If anyone has this world's goods but sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide? Little children, do not word, don't love in only word, but love in deed and in truth. Kingdom is a lifestyle. We practically love each other. We encourage and exhort. Don't leave this. Say, I'm down, man. I don't feel I need somebody to encourage me. Go encourage two people today. Just tell them you're going to make it. I mean, encourage people. When you water others, you yourself are encouraged. Witness to people. This is one of the ways we serve the world. We lay our lives down for them. I don't feel like witnessing. Do it anyway. I don't know what to say. Invite them to church. What if they say no? Oh, well. What if they actually figure out I'm a Christian? Well, that might be the shock, first and foremost. You might actually have to come out of the closet on that one, right? Christians are the most closeted people on the planet these days. Let them know you're a believer. Invite them to church. Invite them to church. Again, price of revival is your dignity. You want to see people saved? Sacrifice your dignity. Yeah? You want to see people come to Christ? Sacrifice your dignity. The price of revival is dignity. Do not presume and don't assume. So one of the things that you do when you're serving other people is don't presume and don't assume. I don't even have time to develop this. I'm out of time. 
me see if I can pull something out of here. When you have a burden for something, okay, so here's what it looks like. So you see someone, when you have a burden on your heart, when, you, when God burdens you with something, and if you have no burdens from the Lord, I encourage you to ask him for one. A burden is just something that God lays upon you, a desire, a weight, a hunger, a longing, something. If you have no such burdens, you need to say, Lord, give me a burden. What do you want a burden for? I don't know. What do you want to give me? You know? He may give you a burden to know who you are, he may, whatever it may be. But when God puts a burden upon you, it is an indication into a direction. When God puts a burden on you, it is an invitation into a conversation. So you burden for your coworkers in your marketplace, and you burden for your coworkers at people that you work with, right? It's an indication that God wants to do something in the marketplace. That burden, you look at the people around you and you feel how lost they are, and you go, what? What is that? That's an indication that Jesus wants to do something. That's also an indication or an invitation into a direction. So, okay, let's just use it personal because we can take it real personal. God gives you a burden in your heart and you really want to know who you are in Christ, right? Who am I, Lord? You really start feeling this burden as to who you are. That is an indication that Jesus wants to do something with you. That is an indication that God wants to develop you and do something with your life. So the burden is an indication into a direction and it's an indication into the conversation. So when the, the conversation, so the burden, first of all, is to recognize that God's leading you in a direction. The conversation is the second part of the equation, which is you presume and assume nothing. You ask him everything. Lord, I have a burden to know who I am. Help me to discover who I am. What are my next steps, Lord? How do I understand this? You begin a conversation. You have a burden for the people in your workplace. You have a burden for the lost. You have a burden for family members. If you don't have a burden for the lost and you don't have a burden for unsaved people, you need to smack yourself and tell yourself to wake up. And you need to begin to ask God. If all you can do is pray for them, that's enough. But you need to ask God for a burden for people who don't know Christ because they're lost. They are. They're lost. Whatever it may be, ask God for a burden and know that so you're in your workplace and you feel all these people around you and you're like, wow, I just really have a burden. Man, these people just don't know Jesus. This is such a godless environment. Can I get a witness? <laughs> this is a godless environment, Lord. I just really feel a burden here. It means God wants to do something. The next question is, is Lord, what do you want to do? What is it that you want to do? And then the next question is, is how do you want to do it? So when God gives you a burden, you presume and assume nothing. We have a burden and we go into the workplace and we think, oh, wow, I have a burden. God must want people to be reached here. So then we go home and get the King James Family Bible and start pulling it behind us in a wheelbarrow, walking through the office, thinking that our, carrying a King James Bible that looks six pounds big, you know, this big monster Bible is going to witness to people. That's maybe, that, he doesn't want you to do that. You're presuming and you're assuming. Ask him, what is it that you want you to do? And he might say, invite Sally to lunch. Be a friend to Sally. You have a whole office here, but I'm isolating her. Start being a friend to her. I want you to be intentional. I want you to go to lunch with her. I just want you to encourage her. You don't even have to use my name yet. Just encourage her. Just be your friend. Just be your friend. Just love her. Just honor her and be her friend. And through the conversation and through the relationship, she's going to go, what's so special about you? I don't understand. Why are you my friend? You know, you're just always so encouraging. And you're going to say, Sally, the reason I'm encouraging is because I have the Lord. I said, I'm, I'm broken just like you. You, you see how it works? We, we don't have to lead with, like, shine like a spotlight in people's faith saying, hey, you're lost. That's what I do because <laughs> I have a bigger platform here. But when you're doing it relationally, you're, you, you come to them that way first. People come to Christ on the arms of a loving friend. It's the number one way people come to Jesus. Think of how you came to Jesus. Who brought you? Somebody, a friend, a family member, caring enough about you 
not maybe giving you the Billy Graham altar call, but bringing you to an environment where you can receive Jesus. That's what it's really all about. It comes down to that, right? So a burden is an indication into a direction, and a burden is an invitation into a conversation. When God puts something on your heart, it's because he wants to do something. Hmm? When God puts something on your heart, it's because he wants to converse with you about it. He's not expecting you to solve the problem. He's expecting you to ask him, what do you want to do here? I can't even get into all this. i got to skip. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I'm going to give you some challenges. I want you to say this with me. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. So here's the challenge. Challenge number one, become a tither. That's from last week. Jump off on that. Give. Give for a full year. Don't look back. Say, I can't do that. Well, then start where you're at. Can't give 10%. Can you give one? Can you give 1%? Can you give Jesus one penny out of every dollar that you make to honor him? And can you believe him? Can you set a standard for yourself and say, Lord, I make $25,000 a year. I, you know, I can give 1%. If you bring me to 60000 or 50000 or whatever, I don't know what your number is. Make it realistic. I'll give the full tithe. How many knows he's going to do that? I don't know if you're aware of that. If you'll be faithful with the 1%, he'll bring you to a level that's acceptable to you. I guarantee it. He will bring you to that level that's acceptable to you. But you've got to be faithful with the 1%. And then when you get the 60000 or whatever your number is, you've got to be faithful then again too. It's not an issue of God bringing you there, right? It's not an issue of that. Where's Jeremiah? See here? How much you got now? 28? Around there? Yeah, somewhere close to that. Is it 28? 25. He's believing God. He's investing in the stock market. What'd you start with? 300 bucks? $1,000? What'd you start? How much? $400. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to not be a wage earner. Okay, I'm jumping off, but I'm trying to give you guys real time. I'm trying to show you the kingdom in real time, right? I'm trying to give you some points to connect to, to show you this stuff is alive and this stuff is real. This isn't something we look at. This is something that's alive in our lives. He says he doesn't want to be a wage earner. He feels that God's telling him to do all these different things. I said, well, you gotta, you can't, you're never going to get there being a wage earner. You need to believe God for a direction outside of your wages. We all have to be wage earners. I get it. But if you want to go to other places, you've got to do something outside of being a wage earner. You're going to have to, and so he felt like God was telling him to invest in the stock market, whatever. I mean, I'm not giving you stock advice. You want, I don't know. His, his journey is completely prophetic. So he began, he takes 400 bucks and he starts investing in the stock market. And he says, what do I do? How do I get to these places? I said, don't just give out of your personal income. Begin to give out of your business. He said, that business isn't making any money. I said, give God a number. That every dollar above that number, you're going to start tithing on that number. And he comes back. I didn't tell him. He comes back to me and he says, 50,000. I go, how much you got? He goes, 400. I said, believe God for it. This wasn't even a year. He's gone from $400 to $25,000 in probably less than seven months. You know what I, oh yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh-huh. I tell him, strike hands with the Lord and make a deal with him. And you tell him that everything above $50,000, so whatever you give it quarterly, whatever your profit margin is, quarterly, you know, I would suggest quarterly, but just doing every three months, whatever your money is above that number, you're going to tithe on that number. And he had nothing. 400 bucks, seven months ago. He struck deals. And I told him, I said, God's going to bring you there. I said, you're probably going to get there in 18 months. I said, you might even get there in a year. Do you know why? Because Jesus will take the deal. So the issue isn't whether God's going to give Jeremiah what he struck hands with him on. The issue now becomes whether Jeremiah will be faithful when the Lord gets him there. So what's the number? He said 50000 Boom. Strike hands. I'll take that deal. He takes him from $400 to $25,000 in less than seven months. You don't think this stuff's real? You know something? But this is a living word. This, isn't you. this is the word that he spoke to him. What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? 
right? You can't wear his armor because you're not him, right? But God will give you something. God will give you a dream. God will give you a desire. God will set you in a position like that. Where's your faith? This is real stuff, man. This is real. I could tell you more stories, but I won't. I'm out of time. Become an intentional worshiper. Become a giver, right? Start where you're at. Become an intentional worshiper. I say it with me. I will lift my hands. Let's say that again. I will lift my hands. I will open my mouth. I will worship the Lord. I will seek him with my heart, with my mind, and with my soul, okay? And then you're going to serve. Say, I will serve. Get involved. So here's the next challenge. Become an intentional worshiper and get involved. Get involved in the ministry. Get involved in the groups. Get involved. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Ask God to give you nudges and prompts towards other people this week. You want to serve people around you? Say, Lord, who is it in my workplace that you want to talk to? Who is it in my workplace that you want to identify? Ask him what he wants to do and just go for it. Who is it around you? Who is in your school? Who is it in your workplace? You'd be stunned at how quickly he gives it to you. So I'm going to close. So we have to close. We're out of time. We're out of time. That's what we got to do. So if you guys would stand on your feet, we're going to say a prayer, right? And this prayer is just a communal prayer that's related to what we were talking about here this morning. We're going to make some statements of record. We're no longer going to say what was. We're going to say what is. Why don't you say this with me? Lord, I choose a lifestyle of virtue. Virtue creates the environment in which your kingdom comes forth. I choose a lifestyle of honor. Honor begins with you. I will not presume, nor will I assume how I am to honor you. I will give you the honor in the manner that you have prescribed. I choose to honor you through the tithe. I choose to honor you through being vocal and an outspoken worshiper of you. It may not be my thing, but it is your thing. And everything that is your thing, I want to become my thing. I choose a lifestyle of honor that serves others in your name. I ask you for nudges, Holy Spirit, and I will not presume, nor will I assume. I will ask what you want, and I will do it. This is my statement of record before the courts of heaven. These truths I choose to embrace, and I deny all lies to the contrary. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I love you. You're so beautiful. God has so much for you. There's a prayer team available, and there's uh, Jeremiah having prophesied over you. <laughs> Prophesy, man. <laughs> Let me bless you. Open up your hearts and just receive the blessing from your Father. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his kingdom. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Got to close. Have a wonderful week. Lost my way.